This is the intro song for my asshole brain. <laughs> Um, so in the previous episode, I spoke to my stepsisters about uh, what it was like for us growing up, blended family, how it altered the sibling dynamics, and then also what it was like to be children of divorce, but for two of us to also have gone through divorces ourselves. And as promised, I had said that we would take more of a deep dive into Stephanie's situation because she is not divorced herself. Her parents are not divorced. And I have no siblings of any sort. Well, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, your situation is kind of the polar opposite of what ours was. Correct. Because your parents have been married for how many years? 36 years. 36. Yes. All right. But you said, when we talked about this previously, your mother... This is her third marriage, though, correct. correct? My mom was married twice in her younger time, and then this is my dad's only marriage. Okay. So. And so, do you remember how old they were? Like, how old your dad was when they married, and how old your mom was? 32. Both of them were 32? Both of them were 32. Oh, okay. They got married the August before I was born. Okay. And as a child, I had a fun time pointing out that there was less than nine months between the time <laughs> they got married and I was born, and why that was... So have so they confirmed that that you were a I was a, a little a tiny bun in your mom's oven. I was when they in married. fact I was at the wedding. All right, cool. I, I was actively at the wedding. You know, not many people can say that. So that's true. That's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> I was there. I didn't see anything, but I was there. Well, you probably heard something, but I don't know. That Maybe. You were. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Say I'm not sure if I had ears yet. Yeah, I, don't. I don't know. Your mom, the first two marriages. Do you know why those? ended um first one he was in the service i think and i'm not entirely sure exactly what happened but it was it it didn't work out it was decided um second marriage from what i know basically he was a flaming prick oh okay so and i think he kind of cut stuff short soon but it probably was my mom's best interest Mm -hmm. because I've never heard anything positive about that man ever. He was not a good person. Okay. And my dad is very much in a lot of ways sort of the polar opposite of the other two from what I know of them. Very much so her first husband who I've met and have known my whole life pretty much. You know her first husband? I know her first husband, So yeah. she's still in contact and is, I guess, on friendly terms with him? Yeah, he actually um, calls probably at least once a week now. It started a couple months ago and talks to her and checks in on her and everything. Like, is actually... A little bit more caring and concerned than my her actual husband so you know that's entertaining that's an interesting dynamic yeah but you How know it's she... also it's one of these things they've known each other 50 years yeah so it's one of those things they know about stuff from when they were younger you know each of them knows about his early friends and his early family and he's one of the only people that's still around in her life that ever met her dad because um, he died when she was young. so They have a shared history. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that they know about each other that other people don't and that they can reminisce about. So, And I think her ex-husband is sort of kind of in a lonely place and is pushing 70 like my mom is, so he's hitting that, um, talking about the past, you know, thinking about the past kind of thing. And, and so he's they, not remarried? He's been married again I don't know, a, couple, but, a couple of times, but he is not currently. Currently, no. okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And he yeah. lives in Chicago. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, so like they've kind of turned into, you know, like over the phone pen pal type thing. Like, you know, they 
check in on each other. That's kind of sweet. It, it's it's actually kind of adorable. <laughs> and he asks about me all the time, wants to know what I'm up to, and so. Not many people can maintain good relationships with yeah. exes. And, I mean, and he's always, like, you know, he's pretty much not lived in Ohio any time in the time I've been alive, I don't think. I, like I said, I met him as a kid because his, my mom stayed friends with his mother, so that was my grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, I always considered my grandma. My dad, I don't think, has ever been particularly bothered by the relationship. I don't know that if he is, he just never said anything. Um, but, you know. And he's obviously had years to comment on that. Yeah, so, you know, if it, if it bothers him, you know, he's it's been a little quiet late, yeah. about it. He's a good guy. Like, he's a nice guy. He's a sweet guy, so. That's pretty cool, though, yeah. that, that she was able to maintain. A lot of times people do that when they have shared kids. Like my ex- Right, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say, and they obviously have no kids. So right. it's not like, you know, it's one of these things where it was required that they have right. some vague connection. When his mother got sick, my mom is the one that took care of her. Like, mm-hmm. we took care of my grandma until she died. We helped put together the funeral and all of that stuff, despite the fact that there is no blood relation there at all. Yeah. Kind of, I guess in one way, that's one thing I have that's sort of an extended family type mm-hmm. thing in that it's... But it's, you know, it's not family at all, but it kind of would have been had they been married when I was alive, but it happened before, and kind of weird, but... I would argue that it is family, though, because, and this is something that I talked about with my stepsisters, I am not a, and I think we've brought this up before as well, I am not the type of person who's, who thinks that shared DNA is what makes a family, and I am very close to my stepsisters and I'm not close at all to my biological brother so I think that family is defined by how you treat each other and how the the regard in which you hold each other and so even if you didn't have a biological connection to this woman to his mother she she was still your family so that that's really all. and I mean and it's one of those things you know I've as I've gotten older, I've joked, like, you know, thank God I'm not blood-related to her because there were things about her personality and her behavior that were just like, I'm glad none of that's in me. Yeah. <laughs> but as a child, I mean, you know, and even now, like, when I think of my grandmas, I say her and my other two. Like, mm-hmm. she, I, I had a bonus grandma. Yeah. And, you know, and that's just one of those things. I'll always say that. If I had an obit, it would say she would be one of my grandmas listed in my mm-hmm. obit. Like, that's just, she's my grandma. So... But that's pretty, it's pretty cool that you were able to get that extended family because you don't have siblings. And, and right. you know, we've talked yeah. about before, you're not super close to cousins, cousins or, or anything, anything like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah. And even my, my dad's parents, I really wasn't close to because they lived in Cleveland a lot of the time I was a kid. So, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of got that grandma built in that I might not have otherwise because my mother's actual mother was, you know, riddled with Alzheimer's at that point. So Joan was sort of a... Stand in. Yeah, and like I said, she was like a bonus grandma. Yeah. Like, I might not really have had a grandma experience if she hadn't been around when I was a wee thing. So you actually do kind of have a blended family, despite the fact that your parents are Yeah, I guess I kind of do. It's just, it it's just a, comes in a different form. Right, yeah. That's interesting. I, I think that's really cool that they still remain friends, though. And yeah. I think it's interesting that your father doesn't seem to be the slightest bit threatened by that, but... What, that, that, I mean, that's one thing I'll give my dad... The things that he's, I'm very much like my father in the things that should threaten me. I'm like, oh, that should be a threat. But things that shouldn't, I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) 
So you've got like your red flag confused with your green flag. Pretty like, much, the ones yeah. That most people are like, no, that's fine. They weird you out. But the things that are a point of concern for most yeah. people, you're you're unfazed right. by. <laughs> now that's fine. Yeah, I'm I've always it. said I have a horrible sense of self-preservation. That kind of thing kind of falls in with that, I think. <laughs> Well, at the same time, though, just because an outsider can look at this and think, huh, that's unusual, I might be threatened by that, you know the whole story, your parents know the whole story, and if he knows that there's no romantic interest there, and it really is just people with a shared history who are friends, then And I mean, and again, it's one of those things, it's like the whole time he was in Chicago, so even if he was threatened, it's like, well, I mean, he's not going back and forth to Chicago. I think I'm okay. Like, right. So, so... Like, if she'd been taking, like, weekend trips every weekend to Chicago, I could see him being like, so... (laughs) This... Now, what are you? What are you doing in Chicago? Now I'm concerned. Yeah. Now it's, but yeah. it's not quite okay. No, other than that. One of the things that I wanted to talk about, uh, since you do come from a situation where you've had parents who have been married for three decades, which is, I, that seems like such a long time. As we talked about before, divorce is still kind of around 50%. So about half marriages fail and then you know, it gets, the, the percentage of divorce gets higher with subsequent And then the marriages. 50%, the other 50% die. So yeah, yeah. that's how marriage works. <laughs> yes, all marriages will end in right. one way or the other. It's just a matter of whether it's because of death or divorce. If you're lucky, both. <laughs> At the same time? <laughs> Somebody drops dead in divorce court. I don't know. That got dark. I'm I divorce sorry. you by death. I'm going to die. <laughs> that could be a thing in some cultures. <laughs> I don't know. Divorce by death. <laughs> well, I mean, technically you are divorced by death. You're no longer married. That's also true. So, I mean, kind of is. Although, I, I would assume, like, the churches see it a little differently. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> like, you were still married. Sorry. Yeah. What's interesting to me is looking at, at why people stay married and the reasons why people stay married when they're in good marriages are obvious because they're happy so people who have good marriages and stay together for a very long time it's obvious they they have a healthy partnership and they're yeah. both satisfied with the relationship but what was interesting is when i was looking into the topic of divorce and kind of the changing face of marriage that exists in the united states today there are still a lot of around half of people uh, stay within marriages who, who get married along, around 50% are still successful in the sense that they don't end in divorce. Right. There are still a lot of people in those marriages who aren't particularly happy. I was curious as to why someone would stay in an unhappy marriage because in this day and age where divorce is relatively common and there's not as much of a negative stigma associated with it as there was before and women are capable of supporting themselves financially if that's the case why do people still do it now some of the obvious reasons are like abuse which we don't need to get into because that's a very even said that's a whole nother we could do an entire episode on the dynamics of why people stay in abusive relationships men and women both correct and then of course religion plays a role because there are still people who view it as uh, not allowed especially if you you know certain religions in particular i remember talking to someone who had a knew somebody else who was a devout Catholic, so they just don't believe in divorce. Yeah. But she and her husband lived in a house where they each had their own floor because they disliked each other so much 
that they just lived in separate parts of the house and were never in the same spot at the same time. And I can't, under, <laughs> I can't understand a religion that's like, yeah, no, that's okay. That's healthy. <laughs> God still wants you to stay married, yeah. even though you're fucking miserable. Looking at each other <laughs> makes you want to vomit, but yeah. marriage. Right. So whatever. Uh, that was astounding to me that people could be like that but I have another friend who told me she also she has a client because she cuts hair and one of her clients has talked about how um, she and her husband haven't even had sex in 20 years that they don't like each other that they don't have any kind of partnership but they just don't feel like they should get divorced and and I don't remember the reason why I don't think for them it was religious I think it was eh we're so old at this point. Right. <laughs> or they dislike each other so much they don't even want to give the other one the benefit of divorcing. Like, that would make them happy. Fuck That's that. Right. I'm not going to set you free. <laughs> if I'm going to have to stay trapped in this right. miserable marriage, so are you. I want to know you died miserable. All right. Um, one, <laughs> one of the things that I did see, though, that I thought was really interesting, because this applies to not just marriages, it applies to any situation that where someone has put uh, a lot of time and effort into it, there's something called the sunk cost fallacy, which is where people will not leave a situation that is bad for them if they've put a lot of effort into it because they view all that time and effort as being wasted. So they feel like if I leave now, then that means all these years that I have spent working on this relationship have just gone to waste. And I don't want it to feel like it was a waste, so I'm just going to stick around. Which is a terrible fucking idea because I've that means a, now you're going to have even more years of I've known a lot of people that look at, that are in dating relationships, not even married, that have said things that are that definition. Yeah, and, and yeah, that never makes sense to me because if you, like you just said, okay, so you've wasted 15 years, why wouldn't you want to just cut your losses and not waste another 5 or 10 or 15? I don't understand that mindset. Maybe I would if I was in that kind of situation. I don't know. I, it boggles my mind, though. Maybe if, you put, maybe if you put a lot of emphasis on the idea of success... And your fear of leaving means that it's a failure and you're not comfortable with the idea of failing. I can understand that. I could get that because I have no concept or interest in success. So. I'm not a particularly competitive person and yeah. I, I my, my idea of success isn't really based on... Yeah. I define it differently so I too don't look at things like that and go, oh, well, I can't not do this anymore because it would be a waste. It means it's a waste. But the, the other part of it is that um, I don't think it's a waste anyway because you still had good experiences. Yeah, presumably it wasn't awful the entire time. And if it was and you stuck through that entire time, kudos to you for being a martyr. <laughs> but yeah, most relationships, even when you decide it doesn't work and you decide to end it, at some point, you know, there was something that was decent. Yeah, and there are lessons to be learned from anything, even if it didn't turn out the way you want it. In fact, I, they, they've done studies. You learn more from failures than you do from successes. So when, you, when something doesn't go well, if you can actually take the time to reflect on it and look at what went well and what didn't go well, you can learn a great deal from it. So you can have a relationship that ends. That I don't even know it's fair to say it failed. It just means that it, it ended. Right. It, Nine times out of a purpose. Right. Nine times out of ten, I don't think most relationships can be defined as failures. I mean, 
one thing didn't work for you or something didn't work for you. I always, when I talk to friends and they're talking about relationships and something's not working and, you know, they decide, they say things like, that's not a good reason to leave them. I love them for this reason, this reason, this reason. And, and I always say, just because something doesn't work for you, but it would work for someone else doesn't mean that you need to keep in it. What's a deal breaker for one person may not be a deal breaker for you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make, and you know, if your partner can't meet the thing that's an issue for you, that doesn't make them a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means for some reason that doesn't work. You're not the right fit. Right. You're trying to put a square peg into a round hole. Right. There's thousands, well, there's more than thousands. There's thousands of people. There's way more than thousands of people. Um, from what I've heard. So just assuming that this was the person that it had to be and you have to hang on to it because that's the person you ended up with and then something doesn't work, it makes no sense to me. Right. If you look at it in terms of like success or failure and you remove that vocabulary from it, I remember having a conversation with someone who was facing the end of a relationship and she was really struggling with it because she still loved her partner but just kind of couldn't be in it anymore. And... I I was talking to her and I said, sometimes a relationship has just run its course. Right. Sometimes it's just over. And it doesn't mean that either of you are bad and it doesn't mean that either of you did something terrible. And again, it doesn't mean that either of you failed. It just means that the relationship as it was is no longer viable and it has to come to an end. And that applies... Or you have to change the shape of it. So like they're actually still friends... But they just couldn't, they couldn't be a couple date. anymore, yeah. right? And that's that kind of thing applies to, and I think I don't. I mean, I don't know if it's a American thing or if it's an everywhere thing. We seem to have trouble. Some people, anyway, seem to have trouble with accepting that sometimes relationships just don't fit who you are or who that other person is anymore. Mm-hmm. Things run their course, and sometimes it's you know a relationship you've had for a year or two, and it's platonic. And it just fizzles or something. Sometimes it's something you've had for 10, 15, 20 years and it it changes, it goes wrong. And sometimes it, you know, it always sucks for the most part. Mm -hmm. But we seem to have this, and maybe it goes along with our success-failure thing, we seem to have this thing where I have this relationship, I'm not going to let it go away, I'm not going to let it fizzle. And you and me have talked about this a lot. We seem to, as we've gotten older, kind of gotten away from that. Like, if this relationship isn't serving me, or I'm putting all the effort into it, Mm -hmm. then it's not worth it. Like, you know, this hanging on to things because you refuse to let them die, or you always enjoyed that person in the past, or you always had that good bond. Sometimes things just... It stops being that way. That person changes, you change, your dynamics in your own lives change. And I think we have a tendency to want to hold on to the vision of them, of who they are when we fell in love with them or when we met them. And so it can take a long time for if you have grown apart to look at that and and realize, oh, they're not that person anymore, and I'm not that person anymore, and we're no longer compatible. Exactly. And I think that a lot of times people will stay in unhappy marriages because they can't stop viewing that person as who they were when they first met them and fell in love with them. And they keep hoping that that person will resurface yeah, and that they can go back to that when it's not going to happen. Now, I do think, I don't mean to, to imply that just because things change or things get hard that you should cut and run. 
because I, I do think that all relationships take work and compromise. And so you can have a rough spot, and that doesn't mean that your marriage is over. It just means that, you know, you're having a rough spot, and you just need to get through it and move on, and that's okay. So I'm not, like, rooting for divorce here and saying that if, if you're ever unhappy, you should just get the fuck out. I am rooting for divorce <laughs> if it means I have more viable dating options. There's I'm throwing that out there. If it means that there are more men available to me, then I think every woman should get a divorce. Exactly. Well, you know, it would open up the dating pool. It would. Of course, then they would be all a bunch of divorce losers. Oh, (laughs) but as Ah. we said, just because they divorced doesn't mean that they failed, and that doesn't mean there's anything. Doesn't mean they're not a loser, though. Still, (laughs) well, you can be a loser and not a failure. I don't actually don't know if that's how that works. Let's let's just say I'm not a dictionary. Let's just say they're not a loser because they're divorced. Well, okay. Well said. Very <laughs> diplomatic. Okay. They're a loser for a multitude of but other reasons. If they could be losers for many, many reasons and may have been the entire time they were married, too. It's just that they <laughs> finally got to the point where their wives couldn't take it. Uh, but, but because of that, that inability to see that someone has changed or not changed, I think that's another reason that people can kind of hold on. And there's also this disconnect between mind and heart, which we talk a lot about, and the idea that cognitively you can recognize that someone's either bad for you or no longer compatible and not making you happy, but you can still love them. And this is actually the case in a lot of abusive relationships where the, the person who's being abused can know that what's being done to them is bad and and not fair and and that they should get out to be safe but still love the shit out of the person who's abusing them yeah we have every year at work we're required to go through it's a mandated domestic violence training and they have somebody from artemis house in dayton come and talk and they always do the spiel like you know they're in a middle school classroom making sure people answer questions and stuff and keep them engaged and the it's usually a woman that runs it and always asks what are the reasons people stay in abusive marriages or relationships Mm -hmm. and people always yell out the obvious financial dependence fear things like that low self-esteem and every single time we've done it in the last three years that i can remember i am the one that yells out love and everybody in the room turns and stares at me like i'm insane and i'm always like and the person running it always goes, yes, exactly. And I'm like, you can love someone that beats the shit out or doesn't even beat you. That they, they, could, they could be verbally abusive. Yeah, you know, that's verbally you. or emotionally abusive. And But like I said, everybody looks at me like I'm crazy. And I, I also assume that everybody in there that's heard me things are like, oh, she must be getting beaten or something. Because <laughs> she's always the first one to say that. But it's just so obvious. You fall in love with people and you run into things where they turn out to just be crappy partners or crappy parents or it's something more than that they beat you or they you know yeah they're verbally they're emotionally abusive it doesn't change the fact that you're still in love with them and it's hard to break that that feeling and there was a and and in some cases they didn't even become abusive until after you were already in hook, line, and sinker. So again, it's that thing of maybe they'll go back to being the person I fell in love with. And that can be a big dynamic in this and that you keep hoping that they're going to become the person you fell in love with, but they're not. Yeah. And of course, in abusive relationships, as we mentioned before, there's, that is such a complicated topic that there's a lot more at play there. Uh, but I think we often, in all kinds of relationships and situations, 
don't want to give up on it. One, because of the sunk cost fallacy of, I've already put so much into this, I don't want to cut and run. Or, and I have this situation with a platonic relationship that ended badly. I so desperately wanted to get back to the place where we had been. And have that, for lack of a better word, perfect relationship yeah. that you had before. And and that I, I chose to ignore certain signs that it was over. Once it became apparent, I totally cut ties, and I was like, okay, well, that's it. I, and it was like this brick fell on my head, and I was like, oh, so that's never going to, we are never going to go back. We right. can, the damage that has been done is so severe, and my view of this person has changed to such an extent, I've seen a whole new side that there is no way, even if this person tried to rekindle a friendship with me, there is no way I could ever trust them and care about them in the way that I used to because of everything that has transpired. And it took a long time to get there, but once I did, I realized that that the damage was irreversible. And it, I still had moments where I would just pause and I'd be like, it's so surreal that I'm not friends with this person anymore when they were such a huge part of my life. And that can happen in marriages, of course, too. And right. that was really, that was very strange for me for a while um, when my ex-husband and I were first separated, trying to redefine that relationship because I had to still see him and talk to him because of my kids. And you have to completely readjust your view of that person. And that can be really hard to do because yeah. you still see them as that person that you met 20 years ago. Well, and you're still treating them as a a partner and an equal in the sense that they're the other parent kind yeah. of thing, but you've removed, presumably, I mean, in your situation and in presumably a lot of situations, you've removed the romantic aspect yeah. because you're split. So yeah, it's like just completely changing how you frame that person. And I've run into that with just regular friendships I've had where like yeah. we've been super close and things have changed and it's, you have to reframe this person's still my friend and they may even still be a, a good friend. It's just not the way it was and it's probably not going to get back to that. Yeah. And a lot of times, once I've gotten out of those situations, I've reflected back on it and realized that I was kind of looking at things through rose-colored glasses. And I very like, much have done that in some of mine, yeah. Yeah, and you're like, oh, maybe that wasn't as great as I thought it was, which I think is also what happens in marriages. We put on those glasses because we don't want to see things for how they truly are. And I've had friends who are in situations where they're on the verge, where they, they're very unhappy and they think they need to leave, but they just can't get there. And there have been times when I've said, okay, so what has to happen for you to get to that point? Because you're telling me you don't think this is salvageable and you're ever going to feel about your partner the way you used to. But you're still hanging in there. So what? what is the line in the sand? Like, what is What's the, the breaking point? Right. What is it, that final straw, that you're finally going to go, oh, okay, so now it's done. And for some people, they're waiting for some obvious sign to swoop in and show them, like, this is the end. Like, this is the last straw. You need to be done. Doesn't happen. Like, you're well, not going to get it. <laughs> and I know, it, and not related to that specifically, but in my mind, things that I always thought were like, you know, my line in the sand, like, if this happens, I'm done. Mm -hmm. When you get to that, a lot of times, you erase the line. You change you it, and you're like, well, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be when I thought about it you know, 50 feet away from the line. Now that I'm at the line, that's, 
I mean, I don't like it, but that's okay. We'll bump it up. Yeah. So, yeah, people redefine what their breaking point is, what their non-negotiables are all the time. And I think that's because, and I've done that many times. I did it in my previous relationship. I kept lowering the bar. Um, That's why if you have the bar all the way at the bottom, you (laughs) don't really ever have to worry about anything. I highly recommend it. Christ, you can just fucking... You can trip over it at this point. <laughs> Why yeah. are you still on the other exactly. side? Uh, but no bar equals no issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've actually been told that not having any expectations is the way to be happy, but I'm not. I'm not convinced that that's entirely true. I think that we do have a tendency to. I think that that's driven by again that that love for that person, even if you're not. In a marriage, maybe you're not even romantically in love with that person anymore, but you've had a partnership and you've been together, especially the longer you're together, the harder it is. But there's also fear. Fear is a huge reason why people stay because they're afraid of being alone. They're afraid of the changes that that are going to incur. They're, they might have financial issues, so they might be afraid of having to support themselves for the first time. So fear is obviously a huge reason why people would stay. In the In the... The cases I can think of, yeah, the fear of change is the huge thing. Just the unexpected, what happens on the other side? Especially because even if you plan it out, you can picture it, you can write it down on a piece of paper, you can bullet point it, perfect outline, I'm going to do this, then this is going to happen. That's not how, especially if the other, you know, when there's another person involved, Mm -hmm. you plotting out step by step doesn't work out when you involve another person. If there was no other person, you wouldn't be getting divorced, obviously. Right. So. So you've got an unknown entity in there. Like, even if you know them, you don't know how they're going to behave because that's the other thing that when you have a relationship ending, people begin to change the way they act and they will do very unexpected things. And so you can't anticipate how it's going to play out. You may think, oh, this is going to go smoothly or we're going to be okay. Right. And He's like, he's been a pushover his whole life. He's not going to fucking care what I do. And you do it and they lose their <laughs> goddamn minds and you're like, okay. Yeah. So there's a person I've never seen in yeah. 20, 30, 40 years. So and yeah. I think when you're going through such a high stress situation, I think all of us become kind of different people. You, you do and say things that you wouldn't normally do or say. And so it's having a plan is nice, but it's not, you've got to understand that it's not going to work, which again is why it's so frightening. And then if you throw children in the mix, right. which is the other reason a lot of people stay married is they stay together for the kids. And I remember you and I had talked before, you said that growing up, most of your friends were or their parents were also married. So you didn't know, like, a lot of divorce. I did not have a ton of friends. At least when I think about, like, the bulk friends that come to mind immediately, their parents were all married. But didn't many of them get divorced when... I have I have older? one friend that I know of specifically, and we really weren't close even by high school time anymore. But her parents ended up getting married after she had graduated, um, but it was actually before her two younger siblings had. So, you know, I don't know if it was they were waiting for the oldest or they just got to the point where they were like, we tried, we give up. You said they ended up getting married. Do you mean they ended 
up getting divorced. They ended up getting divorced. Oh, okay. Yes. I was like, oh, so they've um, been single for a, they, they are not single, but they hadn't been married. Then they got married. Then a year later, they got yeah. divorced. No, 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 no. Which is also I've heard happens too. People will not they'll they'll just be in a partnership for a really like really long time, and they'll find like, eh, fine, let's get married. And then like a year later, they divorce. I <laughs> there's something about marriage that changes my the uncle, dynamic. My uncle has always joked because him and my aunt were together for I don't even know how long. Well over 10 years, maybe close to 15, before they finally went and got married. And my uncle said something like a year or two later when he was up visiting, said something about how him and my aunt had never had a fight until the year after they got married. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> but, it, and it was very much that kind of statement, just the dynamic changes. And I have, I've had other friends that, yeah, they were couples for years. Mm-hmm. They got, went, like, not years, like two or three, years, like five plus got married and within a year or two had split and separated. And I don't know what it, I don't know if it's just that, that definition change does something and suddenly it's so much different to say wife and husband than it is to say girlfriend and boyfriend or what it is, but that seems to happen a lot. I wonder if it's not because there are a lot of, I get very frustrated by them, to be honest. The running joke about running jokes about marriage, where I mean, look at Married with Children. That show fucking epitomizes the the beliefs that some people have in regards to marriage, yeah. where you've got like a naggy wife who spends all your money, and a, a husband, hardworking husband who's who, never thanked for all of his sacrifices. Right, but at the same time, just one he's emotionally unva- unavailable, and he just wants to come home and sit on the couch, and he doesn't give a shit about what anybody else is doing, and he's just the he's a reluctant participant in any family events. So you know you've got the jokes about the ball and chain, right? And you've got jokes about being pussy whipped, and you've got these stereotypes about the. The, the men who just sit around and don't really do anything and the wives are, are nags. And I saw something on Reddit the other day where somebody had posted um, talking about how it really bothers him that his friends give him a hard time for being in a happy marriage. He said it's like his friends expect him to not really like his wife. And so when they'll ask him to go out with them and he's like, no, I'm going to hang out with my wife, they'll call him pit pussy whipped or they'll give him a hard time. When they go out, they all like make fun of their wives or talk about ball and chain or like, oh, I'm glad I finally escaped. And they have like this very adversarial relationship with their spouses and they kind of play that role of the trapped husband who really just wants his freedom, but he got, you know, snookered in by this wife. Which is... Yeah, it's like, we saw wedding pictures. You looked like you were on board for this. You, you were, signed up for You proposed! You were an active participant, and now all of a sudden you're this 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 poor, beleaguered yeah. man who... Well, it's, they do it in movies and stuff all the time. You know, the bachelor party. Oh, and you know, yeah. like, you're never going to get laid again. Better make sure you sleep with the hooker at the, yeah. the bachelor party. Can you imagine having sex with the same woman for the rest of your life? Like this idea that men aren't naturally monogamous, but women are. Yeah, a woman would be totally fine with sleeping with the same dude and having the same penis every day. (laughs) But a dude should be absolutely horrified by that idea. Like, 
But you know that it's because of science, right? Like, you know it's because men are biologically predisposed to spread their seed to right. numerous women. And women don't actually like sex or want to have it or right. want to be touched. And we so, wanna, yeah. We want to tie those men down so they can take care of us and our offspring right. to protect us. Yeah, and I get that that's how it works in the animal kingdom, but I'd like to think that human beings have evolved yeah. enough. And it doesn't always work that way in animal kingdom. There are non-monogamous animals. Uh, you mean there are monogamous animals? You said non-monogamous. There's both. I'm going to say there's both? <laughs> how do I fix what I said? Because I don't... Yeah, there's both. There's monogamous animals. There's animals that, yeah, that will mate for life. You have, like, swans will do it, I think, is one. and, and But then there's others that have more... I guess what, like polyamorous relationships, right? <laughs> so it, it, it's and the thing is that's another thing that, that is really interesting about marriage right now is because a lot of younger generations are not marrying at the same rate that we have, and I think that's because of the changing dynamics of society. Women are able to support themselves, so they don't have to get married in order to be able have to, their bills paid right. and a house over their head. Yeah. But what's also interesting is that. Uh, they're kind of redefining relationships. So there are a lot of couples that stay together and are happy without being married, or they their version of marriage is very different than the traditional. So they might be married, but they might still be polyamorous. So they might have a single person that they're married to, but they might have either loving relationships with more people or they might just have sexual relationships so they might be I've I've had I've had friends that you know they're married and only one person in the relationship and even friends that they're just dating only one person in the relationship is polyamorous the other person is monogamous Uh and they the way their relationship works is that polyamorous person they pursue relationships sometimes romantic sometimes just sexual and that's fine with the monogamous partner. And the monogamous partner is content to just have their one partner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I've I've known a couple of different setups like that. It's, and it, it seems to work great for them. And there's even some that don't live together. Like right. They'll still be in a partnership, but they'll have separate homes. Um, they don't have to have kids. There are a lot of childless couples that are perfectly happy. Uh, which makes a hell of a lot of sense because they've got a lot of free time and a lot of money that people with kids don't have. So the idea that a marriage means a man and a woman who get together, who live in the same house, who have children and have this traditional setup is sort of kind of falling to the wayside. Now, there are obviously still people who have that. I mean, that's pretty much what Steve and I have, and we're very happy in that because that's who we are. Are you, though, or are you just happy that way because society told you? But the the fact of the matter is that people are redefining what marriage is and people are redefining what relationships are and and are having success in situations that are not traditional but still work for them. I have friends that are married and they've been married for a couple of years. They don't have kids. They've not made any overt statements to the idea that they're planning to. I have a couple that have flat out said, we're happy married. We have absolutely no intentions of having kids. And, you know, it works for them. They enjoy their time together. They get to go on vacations and do stuff that they probably wouldn't if they had children. Um, And what's interesting in those situations, though, is when someone changes their mind. Because... You can have situations where two people will get together, 
with the intention of never having children, and then one of them, further down the road, will be like, you know what, I kind of think I want kids now. I've known a couple people that have run into that, and in both of the cases I can think of off the top of my head, it was actually the guy in both of them that decided and what further happened? down the road. Um, and both of them, they split up. I don't know, you know, the full dynamics on either. But in both of those cases, the men have gone on to have kids. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and I know in the one instance, the, the woman never has and is fully adamant and still doesn't want, and I, I don't want kids. I never will. And I don't think that either of them was wrong in that scenario. Right. And mean, again, that's one of those things. Sometimes there's nothing wrong with the relationship. Everything's wonderful. You run into a thing like that. And if that's your deal breaker, that's your deal breaker. Yeah. doesn't mean it's a failed relationship. It right. just means what you need or think you want is not what it was, and it doesn't mesh with the other person. They can't give that to you. Yeah. If you want to have a child, and you don't want to force someone to have a kid if they don't want one, which we obviously discussed in our episode about not having right. a kid. So like, if you're with a person who doesn't want to have children... There's, it's not going to be good if you force them into that situation. Yeah. On either side, whether it's the woman that doesn't want the kid or the dude. Because presumably yeah. someone ends up resenting that at some point. Yeah, and this whole idea, like, just go along with it because you'll like it. It will be fine. That's, that's never going to end well. So I think that in a situation like that where people decide to part ways... I don't think either of them is the asshole in that scenario. No. I think, again, it's a situation where the, the relationship ran its course because the people changed and they ended up needing different things that they couldn't provide. Okay. And so I think that's perfectly acceptable. So I, I do think the stigma surrounding divorce has, has changed a lot. And I do I hope that people stop making the same kind of tired old jokes about marriage and the nagging wife and the lazy husband and the, the you know the reluctant spouse because... If that's really what your marriage is, get the fuck out. But I I remember my daughter saying to me once that she doesn't know if she ever wants to get married. And I told her, that's okay. You don't have to. You never have to get married if you don't want to. Right. But please know that just because your father and I didn't stay married, it doesn't mean all marriages don't work out. And all that shit that you see on television is ridiculous. Those people who are unhappy, those that's because they're in bad marriages. And that's and, not what all marriages are like. Yeah, and I mean, you know, in most of those cases, it suits a comedic effect. Like you mentioned married right. with children. That's funny. It wouldn't be funny if he came home and was like, oh, I love my wonderful wife who's already making dinner and who right. doesn't. But there wouldn't be anything fun. It's, it's entertainment factor. And people equate entertainment to truth a lot. And it's not. That's... <laughs> That's not how that works. And, the, and that's been such a, a long-running joke that people have mistaken it for truth. And that's why that guy was talking about his friends making those jokes. It's because they've been told this narrative in our culture that has taught them what marriages are like and what the, the men want and what the women want. And they buy into it. And now their marriages have been shaped by this absurd narrative. And it's like, no, you can rewrite the story. That may not even be the truth for them. When they're with their wives, they may, I mean, guys that make those jokes may even absolutely adore their wives and not have a relationship like that at all, but it's funny to joke about right, it. Right, right, right. And I, I just get frustrated by it because I think that it's... Well, it tends to, it's hard not to, I think, as women, especially because it tends to always fall that it's the woman that's the problem. It's a little misogynistic. 
And that like your and wife's a frigid bitch, and all she wanted right. before was for your money and your your sperm so that you could have kids. And <laughs> she trapped you. Yeah. yeah, you'd be out having fun and living a great life and traveling. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, you'd because be living in an apartment, eating TV dinners by yourself, right. and jerking off at night, which is every night <laughs> while crying. <laughs> which is a great segue into the topic of singlehood because there was a this big Harvard study that kind of freaked people out that was talking about the fact that um, married men live longer than unmarried men. Now, part of that is that it's divorced because the divorce takes a toll on them and can be very stressful. But even if they've never been married, single men a lot of times haven't traditionally lived as long. And that's in part because of this ridiculous stereotype that infantilizes men. So this isn't just misogynistic because it makes women look like nags and a substitute mom it also is disparaging towards men because it makes them look like big babies who don't know how to take care of themselves and that's really insulting too right like if you don't have a wife to take care of you you're just not going to have clean clothes you're not going to take care of yourself you're not going to eat healthy and unfortunately because men were told well in the past, that it's a woman's job to take care of you, didn't bother to learn to take care of themselves, especially if they lived in a very traditional household where their mom always took care of them, didn't learn how to take care of themselves. And so if they did end up being single, they really were kind of lost because they were told they weren't supposed to have to do that stuff because a woman was going to do it for them. But, the, but it's, it's really insulting to men in this idea that they don't know how to cook. Men can learn how to cook. Men can learn how to do laundry. And so this idea that they can't take care of themselves without a woman is absurd, which is why in the article that I was reading that was talking about this is saying that they believe this is going to change, that, that this, these numbers are going to change as society changes and men are expected to know how to take care of themselves as, women, as well as women that they're going to be expected to know how to, to cook and do their own laundry. You know, basically how to be adults. Well, and it's it's funny because what I started to say before, and like what I'm thinking is, I'm thinking of my dad. My dad did not get married until he was 33. That man was capable of cooking his own food. Mm-hmm. Good meals. He's able of doing his own laundry, though he insists he could only do it if it was coin-operated. But as a married person, it's kind of like he forgot how to do all of those things. So I'm just thinking of it in that flip thing where it's like yeah that per- it was a perfectly capable person but then at some point he got married and he was like meh i don't have to do this anymore and like i watch him do stuff now and i'm like you're a grown adult why can you not do these things yeah. anymore so some of it's almost like i wonder part of me even wonders if it's a matter of like willful ignorance i used to know how to do these things but damn it i don't have to do it now so i'm not going to and I guess if you're with someone who doesn't mind doing those things, it's not a big deal. Like, I do all the laundry, not because Steve is incapable, but because I'm a little bit more particular about some of my stuff. And if I leave him to do all the laundry, there's a chance that something of mine that's delicate, that shouldn't go in the dryer or shouldn't be washed a certain way, might get washed a certain way. Right. So because I am a little bit more anal about certain stuff he's like i'm just gonna let you do it and i'm fine like he'll help fold and put it away but i'm responsible for deciding like what temperature it's going to be washed on and whether or not it gets put in the dryer or whether it air dries because he doesn't want to run the risk of screwing up my system and i'm okay with that 
because it works for me. It protects my delicate. <laughs> right. Right. And he still helps fold and put shit away. So it's not a big deal. It's fine. So I understand that when you get into a partnership, there are some things that people, I do most of the cooking when the kids are around, especially um, when they're not around, he'll pick up that slack. And so I kind of do that a little bit more traditionally too, but then he also does other stuff. So it's still equally divided up. So I right. understand that. When you're in a, a relationship with someone, sometimes people take on different chores, and it's really not a big deal as long as both of those people are happy. But the, the flip side of this is that single women apparently do pretty well compared to others, like even better than married women. And it's and it's in large part, I think, because, again, traditionally, marriage has been hard on women because they have to do so much of the work in terms of raising kids and taking care of the house in traditional marriages. These numbers, again, are likely to change as society changes as well and responsibilities alter. Well, and women have always, you know, the thing about my husband would never go to the doctor if I didn't schedule it or they'd never mm-hmm. get their teeth clean. Like, I'm scheduling everything for myself and my kids, so I do it for them at the same time, too. It wouldn't ever occur to them to do it. Yeah. So, and yeah, when you only have to take care of one person and not anyone else including even a spouse presumably that's a little less stressful and i can tell you that it's hard taking care of kids especially as someone who's an introvert having to put a lot of energy into other people is incredibly draining for me and so even if it's even if it's just a matter of like cooking and cleaning and making lunches by the time i'm done i don't have a lot of energy at the beginning of the day so by the time i'm done with all that i'm fucking exhausted so if i only had to worry about myself I would probably have a bit more energy. I don't know that I'd be healthier, but I would have more energy. Right. <laughs> it, it is very nice to have to, you know, if I need to call the doctor to schedule a doctor's appointment, if I don't want to deal with making a phone call and I put it off for like two months, the only person that's affecting is me as opposed to, well, my kid's been sick for two months and I just didn't want to yeah. talk to anyone on the phone. So there's also that, that nice thing about I'm, right, I'm not permanently damaging anyone but myself possibly. Well, the, the other thing is, too, that women are much better at building social networks. And this is another reason why they say that single men struggle with this. Because a lot of times they don't have, traditionally they have not nurtured friendships or even kinships with family as much. They've kind of left it to the wife to be the one to be the social planner. So, again, they didn't take on an active role. And I've seen that with a lot of guys I know. And, in fact, Steve is not as social as I am either. But, again, he's kind of an introvert, so that just sort of works for him. Right. But I have seen many, many relationships where the guys don't really do stuff with their friends and they have a few friends that they see on occasion, but it's largely the wives whose job it is to arrange for family gatherings or social gatherings, and if she wasn't there doing that, a lot of times the guys wouldn't really see anyone except for the handful of people who live in their house. Exactly. And I think that's changing as well. And honestly, I think video gaming has changed that a lot too because I see all the time where people have met through playing live on video games and have built these tremendous relationships. So even though they're not maybe going out with these people, they're still actually really close to people that they're talking to online. And so they're still getting that social interaction. And that's, I can't tell you how many times I've gone on Reddit and somebody's posted a picture of them and their wedding 
and their groomsmen are all people that they're meeting in person for the first time, <laughs> but they've been playing Xbox Live with for five years. That's hilarious. So I think that the face of social relationships are changing as well, so I think that men are probably going to fare better there and I was, they have another way of interacting with And people. I was actually thinking of, like, one of my exes was big into board games and D&D and stuff like that. So he hung out with his friends, mostly male, uh-huh. at least once a week for that stuff, and that's one of those things that I hadn't run into a lot with other guys I've dated that and the reason that he has that good social network and has all his friends is for being a geek basically and playing board games and I'm like that's one of those things that so many people would make fun of me like oh look at these dorks ah but they you know they're gonna have these friends and these bonds that those other people may never have yeah and I think that some guys will get that through sports right but when they stop Playing sports, so basically when they graduate high school or college, they didn't. They're not still playing sports, so that may have been why traditionally in the past men have lost a lot of friendships because they're not still doing the one thing that they always did and that they that relied on yeah. for companionship for lack of better. And so what's interesting is that it's the nerds who are actually having better social relations. Right, and that's why I was thinking, like, you know, everybody makes play. fun of them, yeah. and, you know, those are the ones who are like, oh, they're home alone by themselves, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and but they're like, talking well, they're to... doing stuff with their friends. Yeah. Like, no, they're not. Yeah, they're talking to a bunch of guys online, or they're getting together to play games, like you said, or they're right. playing D&D. So it's kind of interesting that they, they're painted as the groups that are ostracized when really they're probably ha- better connected socially than a lot of other people are. Right. So, huh, that never occurred to me before, but yeah, that's really interesting how that is changing things too. So I think because of that, we are going to see single men doing just fine. That they may have struggled with it in the past because of the traditional structures of relationships in society. And I think single women will continue to do okay as well. Well, and there's also (laughs) over the last, you know, I mean, definitely since I've been an adult, so 10, 15 years, the conversation about people raising incapable children, and Mm -hmm. it tends to veer towards the boys. Like, it's one of these things, and I don't know, you hate to go with the biological thing, it seems to be, and I don't know if it's, you know, the parents are teaching girls stuff because... The women are the ones that always do it, but like because of tradition, right? Yeah. There's there's been this conversation about people raising their sons to be capable, functional adults, and you know, don't send your 18 year old off into the world unable to make a phone call to a doctor or wash a pair of pants or know how to take out the lung. Don't just teach them to you know hit things with hammers and build cars and things like that. There are other things involved in being a person, and there's been this conversation around consent and me too and all that stuff about raising compassionate sons into compassionate functional adults Mm -hmm. and i think that that's going to make them healthier as well right because they're going to be less isolated they're going to be better at taking care of themselves and so i think that the the changing a lot of people get upset with change especially when you're switching roles and people kind of don't know where they land which i think has been a situation with men since you know, the women's movement, a lot of guys have sort of felt lost and we may have even had an entire generation of guys. I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be the breadwinner and the dad and I'm supposed to do this, this and this and you're encroaching on my territory. Where does that leave me? Where what do I matter now? And I and I don't know that it's been a crisis amongst the men themselves. I don't know if they're aware of it, but I do think in certain 
to a certain degree, it has impacted how they view things and, and not knowing kind of like, okay, so we're switching all these roles and the women seem to have a clear idea of what their new role is, but I'm still not sure on what mine is. And I think as we continue to adapt and change that, they're going to feel more comfortable filling those roles and that they'll, they'll get better at all of this as well. So even though, you know, we can look at this and go, wow, you know, married men live longer. So you single guys are just pathetic and unhealthy. Traditionally, that may have been the case, but I don't think it's going to continue to be the case. Right. And I think the big thing here is social networks, and that's the thing that works well for women. And so we were just having a conversation before we started recording, because one of the things I wanted to talk about was singlehood, and you are someone who is single and who has made the decision to also not be childless, and by and large it doesn't... Or to be childless. I'm sorry, yes, yeah. to be childless. We keep saying the opposite of what we mean tonight. It's opposite day. Hmm, that's going to be confusing. <laughs> uh, but, so not, you're, no, you're an only child, so you don't have siblings, and you're also not going to have children. And so you, as we were talking about this, you said you kind of recently had this epiphany of, so once my parents are gone, what am I going to do for holidays? Right. Banquet TV dinners in front of the TV <laughs> in my underwear. Which honestly doesn't sound horrible. No, not really. And I said, well, you know, the thing that I read was that you spend that time with friends. Right. And that's why you build the social network that you have. And because you're someone who doesn't have siblings, do you spend a lot of time feeling like that's a, a burden or a problem for you being an only child? It, when I was a kid, it bothered me more off and on. Like when I would see, you know, friends with siblings that were actually interacting well with their siblings and not, you know, slapping them with Barbie dolls and screaming <laughs> at them. Um, it really never, and as a general rule, I've never really been overly bothered by being an only child. When I did think I wanted to have kids, I was very much like, I'm going to have five kids. They'll always have people around and it'll be a big, happy, instant family. <laughs> I got over that shit. Um, but like I said, it's it's only been little things have popped up in my head off and on over the last couple of weeks. Like, like someday I won't have grandparents or parents to go. Because I've always joked, like after my parents die... Well, I, I joked with my dad the other week. I said, you realize I'm probably never going to make a Thanksgiving or a Christmas dinner myself because I'm not going to be doing it for kids. And I was like, and I'm probably not going to be the one that does it for like a Friendsgiving thing. I was like, so when you people die, I'm not going to have normal holiday dinners anymore. My dad was like, oh, yeah, well, that sucks for you. And that was the end of the conversation. Thanks, Dad. I know. I agree, Dad. That was the point of my conversation. Um but, as, but those things can change. Again, you know, as we talked about, there's so many things that are being redefined. Right. And, and I mean... And it's okay if you don't know. I've never cooked a turkey. I cooked... No, that, I've done it in a crock pot, but I've never... That's so a comforting turkey. because I've never cooked a turkey before. And I'm like, I literally... That's the thing. I know, like, I know how to do it, but I've never done it. I've done one in a crock pot. I would set a house pot. on fire if yeah. I tried to do it, I'm pretty sure. I think you would do okay. It's probably easier than you expect. But I've never done the whole get up at four in the morning, put the turkey in, baste it. Every... I've never done it either. Yeah, no. But no, I still I would have, never do that. I still have, well, honestly, I would probably just have Steve do it. <laughs> I bet he has. But I still have a mom that's, you know, she moved back recently from California a couple of years ago. So she, but she wasn't around for 20 years. But I would go to in-laws at the time. 
or uh, my dad. So I've had the opportunity to gather, go to other people's houses, so I've not had that. But I'm also, because of my blended family and our situation, I've had to really can mix things up and change when I see people and when we do things. And right. And, and that has been something I think we've talked about it before and I talked about it with a lot of coworkers and stuff. It's, I've never had one of those things where we have to be at so-and-so's at noon for Thanksgiving and then we have to be at so-and-so's at three for Thanksgiving and then we have to be at so-and-so's at six. Mm-hmm. There's never been this or last year we went there so this year we're going here yeah. and any of that stuff. There's been very few years we've had to juggle that. And as an adult, it's pretty much been like, well, I'm going over to my parents for Thanksgiving. I'll go over there on Christmas Day. We'll try to see my grandma. And when he was alive, my grandpa at, like, Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. But I've never had to do any of that juggling or figuring out who gets fit in where. Or working with other people's schedule. One of my coworkers talking the other day about her sister was coming in from out of town, but she was going somewhere else earlier in the day, and she wouldn't be around for being around, like, her nieces and nephews earlier in the day, and she was basically like, well, I'll get there when I get there. I don't care if I'm there, and everybody was like, point to seeing them, like, open their gifts, and she was like, well, oh, well. So, you know, I've always kind of had more of that set up. Like, well, I'm doing this and this, and if that doesn't work out for this person, then... Oh, well. We now host Christmas at our house, so I have my kids... Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, then they go with their dad around 11 or so. They go to his family's house for breakfast because that's been their tradition. So I still get to see them in the morning to open gifts. Right. But then they're pretty much gone for the rest of the day. So we've started hosting around lunch at our house, and then my stepkids will come over at some point. And I have to tell you, it's really nice to not have to go anywhere. Right. I'm perfectly content to have people come to me if that's what it takes or no one come over. Like, I'm also okay <laughs> having a pretty quiet day if that's what ends up happening because the chaos for me makes it not enjoyable. I find nothing, and yeah, I can't... Having to go back and forth, having to travel, having to figure out who has to bring what, who yeah. has to do what. Like, and, when, when I still live with my parents, and I live with my parents until I was almost 30, holidays... Oh, it's things. When I was a kid, I would make a big deal about like, oh, it's a holiday. I'm gonna dress up and come down yeah. to the table in like a dress and look all. <laughs> As an adult, it was super awesome to roll out of bed and just walk down the stairs and open presents in my pajamas and bum around all day in my pajamas. Yeah. And even when it like going over to my parents now, going over there, I don't have to dress up. I don't even have to look. If I showed up at my parents' house in pajamas, my mom would probably give me side eye for a split second and then be like whatever because it's just us yeah. I don't have to make a big production out of it or anything like that and it makes it significantly less stressful and a lot more enjoyable I think that I look back now at so many things that I did when I had little kids and the lengths that I would go to in order to meet expectations that I had placed on myself based on what I thought I was supposed to do I just wish, and I've said this before, I wish I could go back and just tell myself to chill the fuck out. Because I made my life so much harder by thinking I had to do things. And now that I've, one of the things about getting older that's wonderful is you gain the experience and the confidence to say, I don't have to do that. And I'm not going to do it. And, and you're like, I don't want to. Right. This is not a requirement and I'm not doing it. And there's nothing wrong with me that I don't like this this traditional idea of what a holiday is supposed to be or what family is supposed to be. I get to define that for myself and it doesn't have to look like what other people's families or traditions 
look like. Right. Because that's the thing is, again, back to the idea of a narrative. There's these narratives that exist in our culture that tell us how things are supposed to be. And when you get older, you realize that the narratives are bullshit by and large, but you, you can write your own. We can all write our own stories. And so we don't have to fall into that. We don't have to get married. We don't have to have these traditional setups. Or we can get married, but we can, you know, have open marriages. Or we don't have to live together. We don't have to get married and, yeah, skip the kids. Or, you know, we're married, but we're not going to do all of the the family traditional stuff. And yeah. We're going to go to the Bahamas for Christmas. And yeah. That kind of shit. Yeah. You can do it yourself. And I think. And I don't know, I mean, are you fairly comfortable with your, your singlehood? Or is it something that you feel like you've settled into pretty well? Or is it something that you would someday like to change? I go back and forth on it. Um, I'm pretty much always continuously single, which is, you know, awesome. Um, but, like, it's it would be nice to have plus ones for things. Like, my constant thing is always, it'd be nice to have people to go to concerts with. And I have, but I've also, at the same time, I've gotten very used to or not used to, but I've gotten more comfortable with, if I have a concert and I'm going to go to it and no one else wants to go or somebody bails on me last minute, I've gotten myself to a point where I go by myself. I think that's fantastic. I've gone to concerts, like, in not even, like, nearby, like, two and a half, three-hour drives by myself and had just as much fun, if not possibly more, than I would have had with another person. I can leave when I want. I can do what I want. I can do everything at my own pace. So there are little things that I find annoying about being single, like the obvious, you know, there's no one there that's required to have sex with me at all times. Um, that's well, not, that's not actually how that works, I know. Please don't yell at me about insinuating. <laughs> that, that, that sex is please, an yeah, please do not send us messages. It's a joke. Um, or, you know... Like, stupid, little, like, having to flip a goddamn mattress by myself. All that stuff is like, it'd be super fucking nice if there was another person here to help me rotate this goddamn mattress. Or it'd be nice to have someone to go to concerts with. Or maybe I don't want to go to a movie by myself today. Or maybe it would just be nice to send somebody else to do the fucking grocery shopping. Oh, yeah. Or the big one, it'd be awesome if someone else was there to split rent with and utility bills yeah. with. But for the most part, and for a long time, I was always, like, constantly miserable and depressed at the idea that I was single and I'm going to die alone. And I mean, I still think I'm probably going to die alone. But I'm less bothered with it as I get older. And I don't know, maybe if that's because I'm also aware that I'm very much set in my ways. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, inviting someone into either my private space, because, you know, we move in together, or just my life in general. I like being able to do things when I want to. I like being able to do things without people up my ass about it. For the most part, I'm pretty okay with being single at this point. And I think it's amazing that you have gotten to the point where you can go do stuff by yourself. Because that, I'm 44, and that still scares me. I've gotten much better at it within the past, I'd say, 10 years. um, Because of different things I've had to go through where I didn't have an option. I had to go do this thing by myself. gotten much better about it. I took my first road trip about six years ago where I drove to Baltimore all by myself and it was awesome and I loved it so that was a real big deal for me whereas other people do that a lot yeah I'm gonna say I've gotten probably the last five years I've gotten way better about stuff and when my anxiety is really bad and it's been pretty it's been not as bad the last you know year or so like I have to kind of psych myself up for stuff 
But, and it helps sometimes, like, I'll even, like, I'll post things, like, a couple months ago I was supposed to go to a concert, and the friend ended up not being able to go with me. I really wanted to go to this concert. I've seen this band before. It's not like I don't know what their shows are like. I've been to a concert by myself out of state before. So it was, none of it was really an unknown. But I still posted my Facebook, like, basically, like, psych me up to do this. And people were like, you know, you'll regret it if you don't. And I finally got to the point where I was like, that's exactly what I did. I was yeah. like, if I don't go, I'm going to be pissed that A, I wasted the money on the ticket. Yeah. B, that I would have had fun. And otherwise, I'm just going to be sitting at home and, you know, halfway through the night going to be like, ah, I should have gone. Yeah, I could be there right now. Right. <laughs> and so I still have to psych myself up to do certain things. And there are other things that I want to do that if I don't have someone with me, like I get myself psyched up for. And then last minute, I'm like, nah, I can't. Like, yeah. So it's still not foolproof, but... I've gotten way better about it, and it is one of those things. I like. I don't want to be seventy or forty or however old when I am when I die. Be like, well, I didn't do all of this shit because I didn't have anyone to do it with. Yeah. You know. And well, let's hope it's not at forty. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Can I put my vote in for that? Can we that's like five years away. That's a <laughs> oh, really, really long mind. time. Uh, that's okay. Um. At that and that's a that's a lens that I view my life through a lot now. When I haven't wanted to do stuff, is I ask myself, "How are you going to feel if you don't?" Because you have to live with that regret forever. Yeah. The anxiety of doing it will dissipate. The regret doesn't. Yeah. It, it tends to and, stick around. And I've done things, and I've gone ahead and gone, and halfway into it, I've gotten super anxious, and I've left. Um, because that's the other thing is you can leave whenever the fuck you and, want. Right. And so that's the thing, like I've convinced, you know, made myself do stuff where I'm like, I'm kind of on the fence about it. And sometimes I'll go and something will happen and it causes a full blown anxiety attack. And so like 10 minutes in, I'm like, ah, I don't want to do this. Um, and I either fake my way through it for a little while or I just cut my losses and I'm like, Hey, you're not wasting anyone's time, but your own. Yeah. Yeah. So and yeah, like I said, I don't want to get to a point where I'm like, I didn't do, like, my big thing has been, like, I really want to work on, like, going and traveling more. And that's one of those big ones that I've always been bothered. I don't have another person around to go places with mm-hmm. and do things with. As far as traveling, and I know tons of people who have gone and traveled places by themselves, both just in the U.S. and, like, overseas. And I'm like, there are people that I know that are as dysfunctional, if not more than me. And I'm like, if they can manage to do it and not freak out and have a perfectly wonderful time, then I can do it too. And I'm like, I don't want to not do things just because I didn't have a plus one. Yeah. And honestly... Be it romantic or platonic. Like, if I had a plus one that was just a friend and they were able to, you know, run off and do things with me all the time, that would be awesome too. At this point, I'm not overly picky about what my plus one is. Well, you know, if there's ever something you want to do, let me know, because I'm usually giving arrangements. <laughs> well, I like to go see Kesha with you. That right. And that, and that was absolutely awesome. And that's one of those things, probably I would have ended up, if for some reason you couldn't have gone with mm-hmm. me, I probably still would have bought myself a ticket. I probably still, you know, maybe the day of I wouldn't have gone. Yeah. But, you know, I still would have bought the ticket with the full intention of going, because again, it's one of those things like, I, I want to go to this thing, and damn it, if no one else does, then I will. Yeah. I think that's an excellent attitude. I get nervous about doing stuff even when I'm going with somebody. That's something that I struggle with. Just because of my personality is that uh, it sounds great in theory, but once it gets to it, I get anxious. So even if it's something I'm looking really forward to, I still get nervous. Yeah. You know, Steve and I do this thing where we go to Masquerade, and it's this big dress-up thing that we go to, and we'll plan costumes for it, and we'll get really excited, and we'll look forward to it. And the night up, I'm always anxious, and there's always that part like, oh, God. 
And we're like, we don't have to do this. We could just stay home. But I always go and have a good time. But there's right. something, I guess it's just in my nature, that reluctance, that fear of, of doing things. Yeah. So the fact that you can conquer that, because I at least have another person that I can sort of lean on to yeah. bolster me to go. Or at the very least, be like, well, I have to go because I don't want to disappoint this person. Right. So I can, my motivation can be, I need to do this for them. And honestly, I'm more likely to be okay with disappointing another person than I am disappointing myself, which is probably something that's gotten different as I've gotten older, so I can at least notice. I'm like, I don't really give a fuck if I fuck up other people's plans, which kind of makes me an asshole. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I know a lot of people that sometimes that is the thing that makes them like, well, if I don't do this, people are relying on me, and I'm kind of like, mm, I don't really care. Yeah. So, again, that's one of those things that it's nice to, to just be me, that I at least don't have to feel bad at some point. Like, oh, that person was really relying on me to step up and help them with this thing or do this thing with right. them, and I was like, eh. Have fun, bye. <laughs> I think that can be a good thing, though, because I think that's something, especially with women, we have a tendency, again, because we're taught to be nice and polite, to overcommit ourselves and, and say we're going to do something and have trouble saying no. And so I think it's great to be able to say, no, I'm going to, this isn't working for me, this isn't good for me, I'm not going to do it. Like, I, yeah. I'm not up to this for whatever reason, whatever the task is, I can't do it, I need to back out. On the other hand, I think that it's very important to recognize those limitations and if you know that you're not the type of person that can follow through with stuff then ha- have the self-awareness to stop making the commitment yeah. like I, I just don't don't tell someone you're gonna do it like if you tell me maybe then I know it's a maybe and there's a, you know at least a 50% chance you're not gonna do it so if you don't do it I'm okay but if you tell me yes... 100%, this isn't going to change. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to be there. And then you don't. It's like, what the fuck? And, Especially you know, if you do it like 10 times in a row. Then it gets frustrating. So I'm like, all right, never mind. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that... I do think it's great to be able to know your limits and to protect yourself. But I also think it's great to know your limits and not make commitments to things that, in your heart, you know yeah. you're never going to be able to do. But that's a completely separate topic for another day. <laughs> right. Oh, so is there any other dirt that you want to dish or have we uh, covered what it's like having parents who are still married and being single? <laughs> and single and childless with parents that and, will die sooner rather no, than later. And no siblings. All, yes, left alone forever. <laughs> As my friend Jesse so kindly points out every time we go places to eat and I ask about the checks and they say are these together or separate and she goes, oh, she's alone. All alone. <laughs> and she does it every time we go out, no matter where we eat. That's going to be the name of your memoir. She's alone. All, all alone. alone. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, that actually, that could probably work. <laughs> I think that's the perfect note on the <laughs> right. What a wonderful discuss. place to stop this. Like, how funny and ah, how sad. <laughs> Oh, no, it's about solitude, not loneliness. <laughs> and that's what you have to improve. Aren't those synonyms? <laughs> no, they're not. It's two different things. <laughs> well, you're an English teacher, so surely you're telling me the truth. I'll I believe am. you. Believe it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that then. So thanks for listening. And remember, it's not a competition. We're all fucked up. All right. We are not scientists, medical professionals, or mental health experts. We are simply two people interested in discussing a topic that affects everyone, either directly or indirectly. 
We are not expressing expert opinions and anything we say should not replace medical advice or treatment. If you're struggling with depression or anxiety, especially if you are thinking of harming yourself or someone else, please seek the help of a mental health or medical professional. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. You can also chat with them online. Take care. My Asshole Brain was written and hosted by Amanda Green and Stephanie Coons. Artwork by Doug Tolles, produced by Stephen Beasley, and presented by Greasley Enterprises. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.